Let's go to the word, Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit to the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Amen. God is one God, right? God is one. So let's say God is one. God is one. In other words, he's the one God. His existence is one. Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, the Lord your God, Lord our God, the Lord is one. Therefore, the Son who comes from him is one. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit who comes from him is also one. The truth is one. The faith that comes from him is also one. So all that comes from him, one. So all are one. So the faith in the one God, that is the Christian faith, which we're going to spend some time here to to really uh, dissect what Christian faith is about. So faith is believing in one God. Mark 12, 32, God is one and there is no other but him. Therefore, our faith life then, as we just read in Ephesians 4 there in verse 3, keeping the unity of the Spirit. So one God, one Lord, one Spirit, one, one body, one, one baptism. So everything is one, 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 meaning there is no two, there is no other, but one. So keeping the unity of the Spirit is the Christian life. What is it? Keeping the unity of the Spirit. Amen. So we've been hearing about faith and what believing is um, the some, uh, past some weeks since the beginning of the year here in EM. Um, and this message is very uh, important because it is fundamental to our faith, Christian faith. And um, connecting with this task of keeping the unity of the spirit, we need to spend some time on what belief in one um, God is. Um, so this faith in one God is called monotheism. Um, monotheism, mono being one, theism is God or uh, belief in God. So monotheistic faith is a faith that believes in one God. And that is the basis of the Christian faith. That said, however, there are uh, religions in the world, and they're called sort of the major, major religions um, in the world. And Christianity is counted as one, according to the world, um, as believing in one God. Um, the other, so there are three main major ones, and one of them is Christianity. But of course, we know Christianity is not a religion, right? But in the world, by the center of the world, definitions in the world, Christian, Christianity is counted as one religion. Uh, the other two uh, would be Judaism and Islam. Right? So Judaism, Islam, well, Judaism, uh, uh, Christianity, uh, Islam are the so-called three major religions in the world. Um, and they all share this faith in one God. Um, and the belief in one God um, is with no compromise. And because it's one, one God, it's, it's exclusive. It's, its faith is exclusive, as in it does not accept any other faith. Therefore, those who believe in one God um, are not so welcomed, not so um, loved, um, unless you share the same one faith. So this is um, why the history of 
these beliefs have always, always included um, uh, persecution, isolation, uh, and even death, martyrdom. Compare that to something that is, um, has been around for a bit, uh, but all the more as we see the world becoming more so-called globalized and uh, more tolerant socially. Um, so there is this movement towards religious pluralism. So what would be the contrast to monotheism is polytheism, which is the faith in many gods. But then you have, in terms of religion, you have what's called religious pluralism, which is a little bit different than the faith in many gods. Because um, this religious pluralism, um, by definition, is the belief in two or more religious worldviews as being equally acceptable, equally valid. So it's not about believing in many, many gods. Um, but it's to say, my faith and your faith and his faith, their faith, are on the equal level. We all believe in one God, perhaps, but our uh, ways are different. But our ways are all equal. That's what religious pluralism says. So uh, this is the way, um, the way to God uh, it pr- is provided uh, by considering all those many paths as being equal so the implication, the implication from such movement um, is that um, they, it's possible to have dialogue uh, with other faiths. So you have this movement called interfaith movement. Um, I know it's a little heady today, and um, it's going to get even headier with a lot of uh, Bible looking up, but uh, it's so important. That's why if you're here for the first time, make sure you're sitting next to someone who knows the Bible. Uh, if, you are, if you have read the Bible, God bless you. This is your time to shine, all right? Because we're going to look at a lot of passages to really uh, dive into this. So uh, religious pluralism has this um, direction of let's, let's have everybody come together so that we don't have conflict because... From the ancient days, uh, religion has been the source of clashing and conflict. You know, you have your God and I have my God, and we can't agree uh, because of this conflict. So um, we need to kind of have everyone agree and find world peace. So who doesn't want peace? Everyone wants peace, right? So we need to come together in one table and share our faith and then respect each other as being the same. Um, So you bring that up to 2020 and then 2022 up to this day, um, there is something called Abrahamic religion. Now, um, the three major faiths, the monotheistic faith, um, uh, Judaism, Christianity, Islam. I'm saying that in that order because it's sort of the world history order, the way they were, you know, uh, became known is starting with Judaism and the Christianity and Islam is seen as having Abraham as the, sort of the common source because everyone believes that there was a man named Abraham. It's through him the faith came. Um, how it passed on and where it ends, it varies, but all starting with the one God speaking to making covenant with Abraham. So Abrahamic um, faith is how they've been referred to, but there is this movement to bring that into Abrahamism. Abrahamism or Abrahamia. There's many ways to calling this Abrahamic religion. And many people actually say that it sort of originates or maybe it sort of sparked um, the acceleration of this movement with uh, this sort of treaty in 2020. Um, uh, the Abraham 
accords with um, UAE, the United uh, United Arab Emirates, and Bahrain recognizing Israel as a state. Now, if you keep in mind that the Arabic world does not recognize Israel as a state. That's why there's the conflict, you know, um, going on since 1948, since Israel has been given that land as their own state and their nation, their territory. Um, But these Arabic nations actually recognize under this Abraham Accord, shaking hands. And then in 2022, um, there was this uh, inspiration to start out what's called the interfaith complex to make in Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi is the capital of UAE. And uh, this complex is called Abrahamic Family House, initiated by the Pope Francis, this current Pope of the Catholic Church and a leader of... um, uh, uh, Islam, um, together in, in actually 2019, they made this uh, treaty to build a complex, one for each religion. So there is the um, uh, the house of St. Francis of Assis Church, and the Imam um, al Tayyib Mosque, and then you have Moses Ben Mayam my mom uh, synagogue so it's sketched i don't think it's open yet but if you were to google it you will find the sketch i think it was designed by somebody from england i think so they actually have these three places of faith that's housed in arabic country uh, muslim country to say that we are all equal so abrahamism is this melting pot for three monotheistic uh, religions coming together to produce a new religion to produce a new religion. So it, the purpose is to have peace and human brotherhood and religious, uh, have the co- religious common be prevailed to gather commonality together among the three faiths and no longer fight. So the reason why the conflict that's going on in Israel constantly, um, but it's not just Israel, all the world, the world politics centers around that. And it's sort of like this walking on eggshell because of the conflict that's going on with with Islam and um, Judaism. But it's also this holy land that's where all the three major faiths began, all this um, monotheism. Therefore, the effort is welcomed by so many to say, let's, for the sake of world peace, let's recognize all three as being equal and we can start having dialogue. So in the world, this seems all okay. But what about um, as Christians, how do we respond to that and how do we make sense of that? Christianity um, surely starts with, uh, certainly starts with this monotheistic faith, but what it says as John 14, 6, Jesus himself, Yeshua saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What is it? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Who's the way? Yeshua. We say Yeshua here. Jesus, same person. We use both names, but Yeshua is the name that actually means Savior. So Yeshua is the way. That means there is no other way. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Also in Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So when you take that, which is sort of the anchor of Christian faith, Christianity right away lost a lot of friends. You have to sort of give up world peace because Christian faith stands on this exclusive um, understanding or exclusive path to God, the exclusive path to salvation. There is no room for religious pluralism, in other words, by definition for Christianity. Understood? Yes? Oh, man, this is like really serious. I brought a newcomer and they're not going to like... 
I'm sorry. This is welcome. This is what Christian faith is about. We need to hear it for ourselves. We need to hear, we are, we are new friends to hear it as well. And this is not to be compromised. This is where we start. This is where we end. This is where we need to keep in between. We certainly acknowledge religious liberty. We don't force anybody to believe. It is up to our choice. We make our choice to believe. It does not mean, however, religious pluralism is acknowledged by our faith. So let's, um, really dive into it as in this one one god faith people can say well you christians believe in three gods don't you you believe in this thing called what the trinity right so if you meet, you were to meet a jehovah's witness they will say you know there's no such thing as trinity in the bible and then you're like what and they're like yeah do the word search in the bible right now okay trinity zero <laughs> zero result zero. Oh my god you're right yeah, you don't need to go to a Jehovah's Witness to find out that there's no word Trinity appearing in the Bible. However, Trinity is the cornerstone, cornerstone of the Christian faith. Without Trinity, we have no salvation. We have to believe in the God who is one, but works in three persons. What did I just say? The one God who works in three persons. Who are the three persons? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Technically, the Holy Father, Holy Son, the Holy Spirit. Holy Father is a conceptual being, a person. So one being, three persons. Um, so he's a conceptual in terms of that person, as in no one has seen him. So he's an idea, right? So an idea and concept, there is this person, and he dwells in heaven. Actually, he's everywhere, but heaven, is, he has exclusive dominion over. The Holy Son, another, uh, however, is, um, has a body, has, has form. So he appeared as man. So he appeared historically, visibly to the un- uh, universe. The Holy Spirit appears uh, later in the history of mankind um, to be experienced in believers, the person of God. So these three persons make up one God. Um, and there is no one like that in the human context. So this is very abstract and a little difficult to understand. But we do know about, we do need to know about the Trinity for us to defend our faith. To really know, like, what do I believe in? Where does my salvation stand? And be able to defend and keep and teach and share with others what this faith means. And how I'm supposed to keep this faith in my life. Amen? Yeah, so we're going to look at the three persons. So it's a little bit different in terms of the flow of the sermon today, but we need to look at a lot of passages to go over. If you have notes, you can take, but certainly in the sermon summary, I'm going to put it up, a lot of verses there. So first, let's look at the Father. The Father, uh, God, is the one God, um, Jesus said in John eight forty one. We have one Father, God. We have one Father, God. So the one God, when we think about the one God, as the Bible has been, especially in the Old Testament, we're talking about the Father, God. Number one, he exists, but he's invisible. Uh, 1 Timothy 6.16 says, no one has seen him, no one has seen or can see. So uh, when Moses says, show me your glory, Exodus 33.20, God said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and? No one may see me and? Because God is so great, he cannot be seen, and then you expect to live afterwards. You can't, because he's so great that he is um, he is invisible, but he still exists. Um, so in John six forty six, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. The one who came from the Father, who is that? The Son, Yeshua. Yeah. Second, the Father is, is he who decided his will and his dispensation before the creation of the world. So before the world was made, God already had planned. So we're talking about the Father 
as in the personal God. So this is where you already have to like rule out this understanding of God being some form of energy, which a lot of Taoism is that, right? Taoism is based on this idea that there is some force out there that sort of brought everything together in yang for in harmony things to exist, to be. God is not that. God is a personal God. So he has person. So that one person is the father and he decided on the will, on the plan, on the schedule. So this is called the divine decision, which is from the beginning before the creation of the world. So in Matthew 24, 36, the son speaking about the schedule of God, he says, about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, only the father knows. Only the father knows. Even the son who is God said, I don't know the schedule. Only the father does. And John 6, 40, uh, the son said, my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have what? Eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. Number three, what else did the father, what about the father? The father is a creator. He created. So first Corinthians 8, 6 is there is but one God, the father from whom all things came for whom we live. So all things came from the Father. And certainly we see that at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There it says just God. But in 1 Corinthians 8.6 is one God, the Father, from whom all things came. So he did the work of creating. Number four, what else did he do? He sent the Son. This, let's look at it together. John 17.3, verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So who sent Jesus Christ? The Father, right? So because he's the Father, when one is sent by him, this one who comes from him is known as the Son. Because he comes from him. He's of him. He's the Son. Not a servant, but a Son. And he comes in the name of the Father, Jesus, or Yeshua, right? And John five thirty seven. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form. All right, so he says, you have never seen him, you have never heard him, but for him to be made known, the Father sent me. That's what he's saying. Father sent me. And not only did he send me, but he testifies about me. Who is that me? It's Yeshua. It's the Son. All right? So the Father sent him. So he testifies the one he sent. So John eight eighteen says the uh, same thing. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Number five, the father forgives. So in Matthew 6, 14, the son um, taught the disciples uh, the Lord's prayer. Uh, pray like this, your heavenly, our heavenly father, our father in heaven. And, um, and he continues on in 6, 14, your heavenly father will also forgive you. So who does the work of forgiving sin? It's the father. It's the father. Mark eleven twenty five says, so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Number six, the one who receives worship in John four twenty one, Yeshua said, you will worship the father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. So the one who, whom we worship today, right now in the Lord's day is the father, is the father. Uh, number seven, he works. The father works. John 5, 17, the son said, my father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working. Number eight, he answers prayers and rewards. Who answers our prayer? It's the father. Matthew 6, 6, pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He will answer your prayer. He will reward you. Does this sound good? Do you need it? Amen. 
Luke 22, 29, 30, Yeshua spoke about the throne that's prepared for the son, but also for those who follow him. So he spoke about that kingdom, the throne, I confer on you, the disciples of kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me. So the father has prepared this reward for you. I have prepared this reward as well. So that is about the father, um, the one God. Let's talk about the son, the holy son. Who is he? He was sent by the father, as we just uh, read. Um, so number one, he is one with the father here. We got to look at a lot of passages because this is where people have trouble. This is where, um, they can't accept Trinity. Like the fact that Yeshua, a man who was born of a woman who lived and died, certainly they don't believe in his resurrection. Therefore they can't believe in his deity. So they say he can't be one with God. He's just a man, maybe a prophet, right? So that's how, um, uh, Judaism explains, or even Islam, you know, in the Quran, there's like mention of like the prophet, you know, Jesus, the prophet Yeshua. Um, but they, they never understand him or accept him as God. That's where this Trinity breaks down for them. So this is why we have to really pay attention to have proof in the Bible that Yeshua, the son is one with the father. So first, number one, he's one with the father under that, um, if you will, like 1.1 or a, in his existence, he's one with the father. So we're going to look at how he's one with the father. Let's go to first John chapter one, verse two. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and has appeared to us. So this is again, written by John. Um, who wrote John, the book of John. In John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So the word was God, the word was with God, right? So that with God is highlighting the oneness in his existence with the Father. He is one with the Father, equal with the Father. That's what it means in his existence. His being is one with the Father. And then when John, the apostle, uh, apostle disciples writing in First John there, says he was with the Father. Let's also see First John chapter 2, 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So this is where we have to kind of start understanding the Son is not like Father's offspring. Right, Because it says the word father and son, we think about offspring, genetically connected, older, younger generation. This is not what that means. He's only the son because he was sent by the father. And who's the father? He's the one who makes will. He is from the beginning. He is greater than all. So from him came the word, the son. So he is called the son. And that, but still in reality, he is God. So if you acknowledge the son, you acknowledge the father. If you acknowledge the father, you have to acknowledge the son as being one. John 1 18 says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son. So in the latest NIV says, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father. And, uh, and uh, New King James, it says, in the father's bosom, from the father's bosom, he came. So bosom means like this, like my fist inside my jacket, one with the father in the beginning, but came. Even though he came separately, came out to be separated from the father, he is one with the father. Do you understand so far? Now, then the disciples uh, following Jesus in his time, they were like, show us the father. You know, um, this is like very frustrating. You keep them talking about the father because Jesus has said in John fourteen seven, uh, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. He said, but let's read that together. 14, 7 to 9. Reforms, actually 6. Ready? Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have 
seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Anyone who has seen the Son has seen the? Not like, trust me, I am like mini-me. I look exactly like my dad. So like, let's pretend that you have seen my father. I mean, it does happen. I met with Adiso's, Adiso's mom uh, the other day. I'm like, wow, you look just like your son. I wanted to say, but it's wrong. It's like your son looks like you. That's what I have to say, right? It happens a lot. Like I meet the children first and I meet their parents and I go like, your parent looks, parent, you look like your child. No, no, no. Your child looks like, but it's not that. We're not talking about that. What it's saying is that the one who was revealed is the one who is one with him in exist- existence, not resemblance. Understood? So, seeing the Son is seeing the Father, and seeing the Father is seeing God. Therefore, seeing the Son is seeing God. There you go. Um, also, go to John 10, 29 to 30. Very important verse here. You want to talk about the deity of the Son? Here it is, 10, 29 to 30. My Father, who has given them to me, is... Greater than all, no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And at that, the Jews picked up the stones to kill him. That's what it says after that. So the key words here is, my Father is greater than all. He says in 29. But then in 30, he says, I and the Father are one. So what kind of math is that? I and the Father are one. It was one plus one is? Not one. It's two. I know. I don't know what kind of math you have. Hello, math teacher. One plus one is two. So it doesn't work. So this is where we bring in one times one is one. Keep that in mind. So I and the Father are one. So that oneness with the Father, yet he had already said, my Father is greater than all. What does that mean? He also said in John fourteen twenty eight, the Father is greater than I. Wait, so that's like my father, me and my father, my dad. Like he's greater than I. Is that what it means? No, it means even though the nature of the son is God, the father is referring to the entirety. The God, God is entirety and the son is part of him. Therefore, the father is greater than all. He's greater than the son. If you understood that, say amen. Yes. If you don't understand, take notes. So have a discussion on Wednesday. All right. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whenever you meet. Um, he is one, first in existence. One with the Father, first in existence. Second is that he also is the creator. John 1, 3 talks about that. All things that were made, uh, nothing was made with, uh, through, without him. So it is him, the Son, who also made with the Father. First Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for us there is one, but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came, and through whom we live. So it says, one God, the Father, from whom all things came. And then it says, Jesus Christ, through whom all things also came. So what does that mean? The Father created, but he's not the only one. But with the Father, the Son also created. Hallelujah. And he's one with the Father, um, in, uh, like ABC, now we're in C, the third head, subheading there. He, re- he also receives worship. 
right? We said the father receives worship, but John 5, 23 says that all may honor the son just as, the, just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. So we are here to worship God today in spirit and in truth. We are here to worship the father. Amen. But we are also worshiping the son. Amen. Because in the name of Yeshua, we worship the king, worship God who has that name. That is one God. Amen? That is the name of the triune God. Yes. Um, and then uh, another D. Uh, the words of the Son are the words of the Father. Look at John 14, 24. Go ahead. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So these words, that the words that Yeshua spoke are not his own, but they belong to who? The Father who sent him. John twelve fifty. he says, whatever I say is just what the Father told me to say. When did the Father tell the Son? In the beginning. When he was with the Father as the Word. The Father told him what to say, and those are the words the Father spoke. And E, lastly there, the works of the Son are the works of the Father. John five nineteen. very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does john 10 25 he said i i did tell you but you do not believe the works i do in my father's name testify about me you don't believe me for who who i say i am but see the works that i'm doing the miracles i'm performing then believe me because they testify about me as the father testifies about me he continued on 10 38 but if i do them even though you do not believe me believe the works that you may know and understand the father is in me and i in the father Go be, going back up in the heading about the son. So he's one with the father. And secondly, he, is, he did the work of redemption. What kind of work? Redemption. Redeem. Galatians 1.4 says he gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and father. This is the redeeming work. Redemption. That only the son, the only one out of the three persons, did. The father never did the work of redemption. Because how... How can the work of redemption be done? Only through death. Redemption means to die. I have come to, to not to serve, but to serve by giving my life as a ransom. Matthew 20, 28, Jesus said. So by giving my life, as, as Galatians 1, 4 says, he gave himself for our sins. So this is the work that is exclusive to the son. Because father, the father knows no death. He has no body, no flesh, no death. But the son is a part of God who became flesh. And that's the purpose of incarnation, to lay down his life, to become ransom. And three, he returned to the father when all that work was done. Um, and because he came from the father, John 13, three says, Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power. He had come from God and was returning to God. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, 27 to 28. 15, 27 to 28, for he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he had done this, then the son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. So this is God's intention his intent from all along his plan his will is to put all things under the sun so that the son will be the ruler of all all things we may subject it is the father who allowed that and all things bowed down before the king of kings because the son first was made subject to the father the son bowed down before the father and all things bowed down before the son 
Now, that's the meaning of being made subject, but it also has a meaning of becoming absorbed into the one, one subject. Because one is like subjecting and surrendering, becoming nothing before the ruler, and ruler has everything over that subject. So that has a meaning of being absorbed. So when the son died and resurrected, after his resurrection, take it up to heaven... That's why Yeshua said, I'm returning to the Father from whom I come. In the beginning, I was with him in his bosom. I'm going back to his bosom. I'm going back to the Father's house. I'm going to take the throne. And that is to be one with the Father. Understood? Amen? Number four, he's the mediator. Very important verse. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. How many God? One God. How many mediator? One mediator. So mediator means someone who is in between. He is uh, perfectly God, completely God, and, and perfectly man. 100% God, 100% God becoming 100% Man, So he was able to lay down his life, becoming sin on behalf of all men, paying the price of the sin of all men, not his own sin, for he knows no sin. He is the innocent God. He is sinless. That was proven through his resurrection. Say amen if you believe that. So that's why he's on the throne in heaven. What does he do? He's our defender. He is our advocate. He He defends those whose sins have been forgiven by their faith in him, in his blood. Hallelujah. First John chapter two, verse one says, if anybody does sin, we have an advocate, a defender with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Hallelujah. Yes. Number five, he sat on the throne. And this one, let's look at it again. Revelation 22. Verse 3. Throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. How many thrones in heaven? One. And who's seated there? Whose throne is it? It says the throne of God and of the Lamb. So how many are seated there? It's one because it says his servant, right? Him, they will see his. So it's singular, singular throne and singular person. So who is visibly seated there? It is the throne. It is the king of kings. His name is Yeshua. So that's one times one. The son has been absorbed with the father, seated on the throne with the father. But the one, the only one who will be visible, seen forever and ever is the lamb, the son of God, the king of kings. Hallelujah. And then he will return. As the judge, to judge the living and the dead, Second Timothy 4, 1 says, For the Father gave the authority to judge to the Son, John five twenty seven. But the, fa- the, the Son said, The Father gave the Son the authority to judge, but he will not judge, but it will be his words. The words that he spoke will judge them in the last day, Matthew eleven twenty eight. But the words that the Son spoke are the words of the Father. Oh, my God. Are you like, are you like going, I'm blowing up right now. Believe me, I went back and forth, back and forth. Like, do I need to preach this today? I don't know if I think I need to. So I prepared actually a couple of sermons and I kept praying on it. And I felt that, yes, this is what we need to hear. Amen? And lastly, the person, the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit of God who comes out of the Father. So number one, he comes out of the Father in, to come into believers. Go to John fifteen twenty six. When the advocate comes... Whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth. 
who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Again, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So here is Yeshua promising the counselor coming after he goes and becomes one with the Father in heaven on the throne. He will send the Holy Spirit in agreement between the Father and the Son. The Spirit will come. And when he comes, he's not coming to unbelievers or anybody out there, but only those who believe in God and the Son, right? Through the Son, that the Son, that they believe that Yeshua is the one who was sent as the Son of God. When they believe in him and receive his blood, believe in his works, receive his blood, then the Holy Spirit comes. What does he do when he comes to believers? Secondly, he testifies the Son, as it says. He will testify about me. So he will testify that Yeshua alone is the sinless God who came as man and died, but resurrected to testify that he is the Holy One. Hallelujah! Not Mary, not Pope, nobody else out there, but he alone, the sole innocence of the Son of God is what he testifies. And thirdly, he lets the Father's will be done in the believers. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Was his will done already? Was his done, was the father's will done? Yes, it was done. When? When the son died on the cross. That's right. But we still pray, let your will be done in me. Now it's my turn. It's my turn, the believer's turn. And that's why the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit came to let the will of the Father be done. The same will that was completed at the cross by the Son as he laid down his life and became nothing be done in my life. For me to become nothing, that will to continue on being done on earth, he came. So that we be made one with the Father and the Son. Hallelujah! Keeping that unity in the Spirit. Now this three persons, the Old Testament people had no idea about. Because the name of God for them was not Yeshua, was Rather, Jehovah. And the temple was there. I know, it's like temple's coming back. Yes, temple's coming back. So the name of God of the, of the Old Testament for the people of Israel delivered through the angel was Jehovah. And they had to obey the word given through Moses, given through the angel called the Ten Commandments, but plus more. 600 some odd points of the law was given to them to obey. But they were to remember all the regulations about, you shall have no other gods before me. No other God, but the Lord God. No other God, but Jehovah. But the people of Israel forgot that and defiled themselves and sinned. And therefore, they were destroyed as a result. Deuteronomy 32, 21 describes that they worship by what is no God, worthless idols. But because the temple was still standing, which had been repaired and then rebuilt, um, it was a hope for, it was a reminder of hope for them, for their future, even though they had lost their sovereignty by the time the Son of God did come. Looking at the temple, what did Yeshua say? Destroy this temple. Right, but here he is coming as man. Yes, in the eyes of men, especially the Jewish uh, Jewish leaders there, the priests, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, who are steeped in the monotheistic faith that there is only one God, Jehovah. He is saying, "Destroy this temple, and I'll raise it in three days." They consider that as blasphemy. That's the house of God where the one God's name is. You destroy it, you die. How dare you say that? It doesn't even make sense. You'll rebuild it. But what Yeshua is referring to was the temple of his body. Here he is saying that I have come to reveal the one God, not in the name of Jehovah through the angel, but through this bottle, in this bodily form as, as, as man I have come and it will be revealed to those who are not being found as, who are not considered righteous by keeping the law, the 10 commandments, but justified by faith. Let's go to Romans 3.30. 
Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. The division of the world is circumcised or uncircumcised according to the Old Testament or the, uh, for the Jews there. So only the people of Israel through Abraham were given this covenant and then they had to be circumcised. Everyone else is uncircumcised. Therefore, they are the people of God and the rest are Gentiles or pagans. But what Romans is telling us is there's only one God. And that one God, he will justify the circumcised by faith as well as the uncircumcised by faith. And what do we say? Hallelujah. Thank you. It is not by keeping the law that one is justified for it is impossible to become that righteous that way. But it is my, my faith in the righteous one, what he did as the righteous act, that I am considered righteous. I am justified by that faith. Hallelujah. Galatians 2.16 says the same thing. Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So it is not the name of Jehovah, but it is the Father's name. John 5.43. The name of Yeshua. And that through his death and his resurrection, Yeshua revealed this. And he will make a way for us. Gentiles, the uncircumcised ones who have made justified by faith because we are all souls having received the blood of Yeshua, now having the chance to become one with God. So that's why he prayed in John 17, 11, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you have given me, so that they may be one as we are. They may be what? One as we are. So first his prayer was for his disciples. But he also prayed for the unbelievers in the world who will hear the gospel through the disciples. And he said, I pray also for those who will believe me through their message that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete Unity, hallelujah. That is the intent, the purpose of sending the son. But because he insisted that I and the father are one and saying that he was sent by the father and destroyed the temple, the Jews who had the Jewish leaders and the priests who were steeped in this only one God believed they could not tolerate him. So they, they sent him over to death and Yeshua was nailed to the cross and he died. But as he died, what did he declare? It is finished. Because that is the moment that he was carrying out and fulfilling the word that the father sent him. The purpose that the father sent him as man in the world. He obeyed the command of the father. John 10, 17, 18. And he fulfilled the father's will. Let your will be done. Yes, it was done at the cross when he became nothing. And upheld the father's command, his will above all else. For the father's greater than all. Hallelujah. And he condemned the devil who challenged this only one God. And said, I will be like the most high. Remember last Last week we talked about that, right? The only self-existent one is God, but he challenged himself even though he is a creature. But at this moment, he condemned this enemy. And thirdly, he paid the price of sin for all men. That's called redemption by laying down his life. Hallelujah! But laying down his life involves shedding his precious blood. As he said, drink my blood. So drinking blood means open your heart and receive my works. Receive my blood by faith. By that faith. You'll be justified by that faith. You'll be given chance to become one with the one God in the name of Yeshua. Hallelujah. Do you realize how amazing this is? Amazing the Bible is. All the, Pastor King said, it's all like sprinkled there. Sprinkled. 
sprinkle, but in, through the inspiration of the, of the Holy Spirit, preacher Liker is like putting the sprinkles together and connecting, like connecting the beads to make a necklace. That's all in the Bible through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We can understand. Hallelujah. He died, but in three days he resurrected to testify that he is indeed God. He is God. Hallelujah. He is Lord. He is God. He is the King of Kings as he sat down on the throne in heaven, returning to the Father's bosom, becoming one on the throne. And he reigns there forever and ever. But in agreement with the Father, between the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit came to the world, but not to the unbelievers in the world, but the believers. And believers, who are they? Those who have been called to peace in the name of Yeshua. Say amen if you believe you have been called to peace in the name of Yeshua. You have received the blood of Yeshua. Say amen. The Holy Spirit calls such souls to become one in his body. This is where we're coming back to the main text. Which text? There are so many texts. So many parts of the text. Ephesians 4. Which is about keeping unity of the Spirit. Now that we talked about one God and then three persons. How they are one. And then what about me? This is you right now. It's your time. So the Holy Spirit has called every one of us to come hear this good news. And then it is in the souls, into the souls who have become one in the blood of Yeshua, the Holy Spirit comes. And he has called souls such as us into becoming one in the one body called the church. Ephesians 1, 22, 23 says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. So let's go over that. Who is the body of Christ? What is the body of Christ? Who is the body of Christ? It is the church. Who is the head of the church? Yeshua. And we are, I am, I am the body of Christ. Are you the body of Christ? Are you the body of Christ? What are we? We are members. Ephesians 5.30 says we are members of his body. Say it together. I'm a member of the body of Christ. Turn to your neighbor and tell them what? Are you a member? Colossians 3.15 says let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Since as members of one body you were called to peace. So if you, if you have received the blood of Yeshua, say amen. And you have received the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? Then we have been, we have become one in the blood of Yeshua. We have become one in, one in the blood of Yeshua to be brought into one body of Yeshua. That is the church. Amen. So even though we look differently, we are walking, coming from different walks of life. We are all souls. We are all souls, regardless of what the physical or the external differences say. But we are all souls. And especially now that I have received the blood of Yeshua, which is the blood of the Son. But because the Son is one with the Father, it is the blood of the Father. It is the blood of God. You realize that? The God, the great, the one who is greater than all. His blood has been given to me through the Son. The blood that's in my soul is the blood of God. Hallelujah. So we have been called to peace in the name of Yeshua into this body. And do what? Because no one can see Yeshua. No one can see God. No one will ever see God. Even in heaven, no one can ever see God. The only one that we will be able to see is the son Yeshua. The son of man. 
He is the lamb. He is the king of kings. The one who has body. The bodily in the God in the bodily form. That's Yeshua. That's the only one that we'll see. But right now on earth, we can't see him. There's no Yeshua. There's not even the cross of this church. So we don't see him. But it is, it is his desire to still reveal himself. Yeshua wants himself to be known. Because eternal life is by knowing the only true God, that one God and Jesus Christ whom he sent for all to look to the son and believe and have eternal life and not perish. That is the will of the father. So he wants that will to be revealed through his body, which is what? Which is what? I know you don't want to say church. I love the Lord, but church, I don't know. All I see is people. I just said, we can't see Yeshua. We can't. So like the one you don't see, I love you. And these people that I see, I don't love them. But this is the body that was called to peace. And that was to make us into one body in unity. To keep us in unity. He has called us by the Holy Spirit. So the church that we belong to, certainly we have to check that it is the true church. That it stands uh, firmly on the foundation and pillars of the truth. This is why we have you read the Bible and continue to read the Bible. As I said last night, read and love the Bible. Study the Bible and love the Bible so that you can always check. Is my preacher speaking from the Bible? I check, 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 check. Okay, then what's left for me? To follow the way. Obey the way. Amen? The reality of the churches today, however... Is that they're constantly breaking up over disagreements, over disagreements over doctrines and denominations, and even personalities. Because of personalities, people clash. Whoever's louder, whoever's more popular, and takes up, and the other church breaks. Do you know how many churches? There's problem is, I go around, I don't go around the entire world, but wherever I visit and places and I'm talking with church leaders and um, members and stuff, and and they all agree. There are too many churches here, they say. There are too many churches. What does that mean? It sounds kind of strange to say that. We want a lot of churches because we want a lot of believers, but too many churches isn't. There are so many illegitimate churches, and they're here unofficially, basically. It shouldn't be here. They're, they're there and they call themselves church, but they were never sent and they were never supported by the Holy Spirit. Never began uh, on the truth and the right way. It sort of started because they didn't like the other church. So they broke up, they broke up, they broke up, and all the broken pieces come together and let's kumbaya together. That's voila, we have a church. Not only that, people say, oh, you know, I, my person, I clash with, with the pastor. My person, I clash with my member or my leader. I, I don't really agree with them. I don't really like them. I don't like where this is going. I lost interest. Whatever it is. And then they leave. And when they leave, they don't say pretty things. So that's why we always say, like, try not to talk to them too much. And like, oh, you're trying to stop me. You're telling me. Maybe I should leave too. That's what other people say. But the reason is, when someone leaves, they don't leave because they're happy. Agreed. Right? I mean, if they love and they're happy, why are they leaving? So they're not happy and they're not loving. They leave. So if you're making phone calls, like, hey, why did you leave? Tell me. What happened? What happened? Like maybe one time, you know, out of curiosity because you care for them, that's okay. But if you keep, tell me more. Tell me more. What, what else do I need to know? So all they have to say is nothing positive and only negative. Why? Because they have to justify their reason for leaving, right? So that justification, is that going to be helpful for me or harmful to me? That's what we have to decide. 
So what the Bible tells us, Romans 14, 1, 1 Timothy 3, 3, 6, 4, do not argue, do not quarrel. Do, do, not, do, do not get into fights in the body, in the church, with other members. Instead, encourage one another and humbly serve. Be humble. Be what? Be what? Humble. Be humble. Treat your brother better than yourself. Serve your brother as higher than you. If we do that, then we wouldn't argue. If you have many siblings growing up, then you're fighting. I don't know if you had that parent, but we used to always hear. I used to always hear, like, somebody has to lose on purpose. Like, you have to just, like, give in. Like, I'm like, why? I want to be the winner. But if you keep on doing that, you're fighting, fighting, fighting. It takes two to tango. If the other one does not counter punch, <laughs> if the other one does not throw the counter punch, there is no punching. But because one, he hit me first, I'm going to hit him back. That's how a fight happens. But even if he's swinging, let him swing. And I just go, you win. You win. So if I let my brother be a winner, there's no fight. Agreed? Turn to your neighbor and say, you're the winner. (laughs) Don't look so unhappy about that. You're the winner. Brother, you beat me. Sister, you beat me. The Holy Spirit. The reason is why, why we can't keep unity in the body is because they do not know who the Holy Spirit is, what kind of work he does. The Holy Spirit came to unite us into one body. Amen? The body of Christ. Amen. Certainly, there are many churches out in the world. In Revelation 2, 2 to 3, we see seven churches, the early seven churches in, in the Christian history there. We see. So there are many churches in the world. I'm not saying COJ is the only one. They also, the other thing. Do you think COJ is the only church? They always say that when they leave. I, I never said that. When did I say that? You're quoting me wrong, girl or boy, whatever you're saying, whoever you are. Well, don't quote me wrong. I'm not saying that. Although it is true, it's hard to find true churches. There are other churches that are founded on the uh, true foundation. But the Holy Spirit came to unite us as members to make up the one body. That's what preaching is about. Preaching is to correct the wrong and train us and, and encourage us and even at times disciplining us. So that we are humbled to become one body that nothing will get in the way of being united. So any word that is spoken to divide... Who does the work of dividing? His name is the divider, by the way. What's his name? Ho Diabolos. I'm sorry. What's his name in English? That's Greek. Sorry. What's what's that? The devil. The devil. The devil. The devil is Ho Diabolos, which means Diabolos. Separate. Separate. Destroy. Separate to destroy. So examine your words. Examine your decision. Are my words and my decision being divisive or uniting? So when you're gathered up or whatever, somebody gets on your nerve. Yeah, people get on your nerve. You get on other people's nerve too. Come on, let's face it. Everyone's annoying each other. And especially in the COJ, we are together so much. We know each other so well. So we can get on each other. So we know what buttons to press. So if that's happening and you can't help it, you have to kind of control and take for a second. And say, is my word going to be divisive? Is what I'm going to say be divisive or uniting? Is my effort going to be for dividing or uniting? Because the Holy Spirit does the work of uniting. So anyone who commits blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, Matthew 12, 30 to 34, Yeshua warned, himself warned. You could commit blasphemy and sin against the Son of Man, but still be forgiven. But sin against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. 
Very serious. Very serious. So the church is the body for the Father's will be done. For the will of the Father's be done, the Holy Spirit came to unite us into one body. So therefore, we are to have the same will. Do the same will. That is for everyone to look to the Son and believe and have eternal life. Hallelujah. One will, one direction, one heart. That's what the church is about. And that's why the Holy Spirit came. To keep this unity. We have come from one faith and by that one blood of the one father, we have become one, one brotherhood, and we are members of one body. Even though, again, externally, we may be different, like different branches attached to one vine, the shape, the length, the age, and and the health, whatever, they may all be different, but they all belong to one vine, sharing the one nutrient, one flow of nutrient, one sap. Is going through all the through the vine, all the branches. That's like that in the church. We are made up of different members, but we all share a one blood, and that is the blood of Yeshua. Hallelujah! Deuteronomy four four says, "All of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today." Certainly, the words were speak, spoken to the people of Israel who remained faithful and held fast to the Lord. Today, that word applies to us as members of the body. We hold fast to the church that is the body of Christ whom we love because we have his blood. He is our father in heaven. Hallelujah. So we hold fast. And as long as I hold fast, I'm alive. Amen. No matter what, if I hold fast, he will hold me back and he will provide me life. So the man of the Holy Spirit is Someone who does not tolerate other salvation, other gospel, other mediator. As 2 Corinthians 11, 4 talks about that. Paul had said, people came and preached to you other gospel and you're so happy and you welcome it. So-called the prosperity gospel. Sounds good to, the, good to yours. No pressure at all. They don't tell you what to do. COG is all about telling you what to do. You know why? It's because no one else is telling the truth. That's why. Everyone has been sugared, watered down and sugar-coated. So they're not used to hearing the real thing. And they don't want to be hearing the real thing. They want to hear what they want to hear. So all those places filled up with people and they don't even, even evangelize. But here it's like always like, do this, lay down, die, die, die. Oh my God. Die, die, die. Let's eat today and die tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> But the Christian, the true Christian is someone, even if the message is hard, that they accept the true gospel, the only gospel. There's only one gospel. There's only one truth. Amen. There's only one mediator, one Lord, and one salvation. No other name but the name of? No other name but the name of? That's right. Salvation is found in no one else, but there is no other name. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So there is only one name, one Lord, one spirit, one faith. Hallelujah. In that there's one baptism. So again, one of the definitions of true church is like baptism. Do they baptize? And if they say yes, what kind of baptism? Again, why? Because they've been watered down. They've been compromised. Even the form of baptism has changed. Even meaning of baptism has been changed. They think they're just sprinkling the babies and they're safe for good. In fact, they don't even have faith and they're on their way to hell and not be saved in the end because of it. 
So the real way of being baptized is one by one's confession, by one's own faith. They follow the way that Yeshua showed, which is by full immersion into the water in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. That is one name, which is the name of Yeshua. Hallelujah. By being humble, being gentle, and being patient, bearing with one another in love. We make every effort to keep this unity of the spirit because not tolerating and being exclusive makes us isolated. As I said earlier on, monotheistic faith is not welcomed by the world. Pluralistic faith is or may be welcomed by the world. But if we insist on this one way, one way, one way, no other way, no other name, but one name, Yeshua, one faith, one church, one body, one Lord. Then the world says, we hate you. Go die. That's how martyrdom has occurred from that one Lord Yeshua from the beginning of the church to this day. We have no idea what the future may hold for us. How our life may be at risk because of our faith. We don't know. Right now we're in a good, good place where our faith is freely practiced. And that we can actually share the faith freely. But we don't know. When this one world religion may be established and therefore anyone else may be persecuted, we don't know. But according to the Bible, that day will come. Before the Lord comes, there will be great persecution under that one world ruler. And it will be through this kind of faith, this kind of belief. And those who stand against it and say, I believe in one Lord, one name, one salvation will be persecuted. For me to have that faith, if I'm alive until then, I need to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit today and do my part and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Hallelujah! And even in in trials, therefore, I need to keep my eyes on God alone. The one God alone, as 2 Chronicles 20.12 says. And it is to look to him in my suffering, in my isolation, in my hardship, never losing the faith. For he alone is my strength. He alone is my help. He alone is my way. He alone is my salvation. He alone is my solution. Hallelujah. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That's why we pray. Keeping this faith is not easy. Only God can help me. Do you agree? Do you agree? I need God's help every single day that this faith is continuing. I'm acting upon this faith and my faith is kept. Not just me, but my family, my children, continuing on in this faith until I can finally become one with him. Hallelujah. The reason why God decided to reveal himself and work in these three ways is for us to know him. Ultimately, it's for us to have a chance to become one with God. To me, it's incredible. Like, God to my knowledge of God is getting bigger and bigger and, and, and deeper and deeper. And he's so not like me. I'm so far away from him. But in this great, overwhelmingly perfect plan and schedule of God, there I am. Being called to one peace, one hope. And been given chance to become one with him through the body, the church. Being one faith together. 
While the world says no thanks, I don't want that kind of faith. I'm not going to that kind of church. But we are here together in one faith, in one body, looking forward to that day when we can finally see that one Lord with our naked eyes. And when the Lord comes back and says, rise, you, the living, the living ones, rise, rise, rise. And that's when those who will be taken up to him in the resurrected body to be absorbed into him, to become one with him forever and ever. And I pray that all of us can become one with him in that day. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Let's close our eyes. We certainly heard a lot here this morning. The faith that we have is the faith in one God who made such effort to reveal himself in three persons in history. The effort was shown just a bit here through this lowly, humble servant, this this preaching to show how he is one and that we want to become one with him today. And that is by knowing him, knowing his word, and doing according to his word we are not religious people but we are people of faith we want to become people of faith we want to stay as people of faith until the end let's lift up our hands so that he may hold fast to us as we cling unto him that we put every effort to hold fast to his one body hold fast to us Yeshua